Well, good morning again. My name is Ben Sineker, and again, I'm one of the pastors here, assistant pastors here at, at Grace. Um, if you are new, or again, if you've kind of um, you've been here for a while or whatever, we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount for several months now, three or four months, um, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And um, the theme of the Sermon on the Mount is the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus is just beginning his public ministry. He's, he's sort of been flying under the radar, just to give you a little context. Been flying under the radar, but then he's, he's now going to launch into his public ministry. And to do so, he takes his disciples up onto a, uh, onto a, a mountain and begins to, to teach them. And then, of course, the crowds come as well. And what Jesus is doing is um, acting out what he's doing in terms of this new age in, in redemptive history. Moses climbed a mountain, received the law, then delivered it to the people, and now Jesus is climbing a mountain, but he's not having to receive anything because he is God, but he is now fulfilling the law and ushering in this new age of redemptive history. And so he's teaching. This is what the kingdom of God is like. And he's going, he starts with the Beatitudes, if you remember those, beginning of Matthew 5, and we're going through the rest of it. And it's really topical. Um, Jesus is talking about um, what does it look like to be in the kingdom of God um, when, how do, how, do we ha- how do we handle our anger as people in the kingdom of God? How, what do we do with our lust? What do we do when people wrong us and we have this desire to retaliate in some way? What do we do with that? And so that's what we've been looking at. Last week was the topic of treasure. Where shall we seek treasure? Where shall we place our treasure? And Jesus is saying there are really two options. One is in the world. But if we do that, all of our treasures will eventually rust and rot and decay and fail us. Other option, better option, is to place our treasure in heaven where neither rust nor moth destroys, it's eternal. And Jesus ends the passage from last week with a statement, you can't serve both God and money or possessions. Your heart cannot be divided like that. Because when it's divided like that, it's unfulfilled, it gets frustrated, and then we'll see, like we will look at this morning, it becomes a very anxious heart. A divided heart is an anxious heart. And our passage begins with the word, therefore. And that's one of those little uh, clues. Whenever you're reading scripture and you see the word, therefore, you have to stop and look up, look above that passage, and what has been said that has led the speaker to now say, therefore, this. And so last week was kind of part one. This week, we're going to continue with it. Um, So I'm going to read the passage now, and you know what's coming. (laughs) If you could please stand for the reading of God's word. Getting your steps in. or This is Matthew 6, beginning at verse 25. This is our Lord speaking. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life what you will eat, what you'll drink, nor about your body and what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? 
Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little little faith? Therefore, don't be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or drink or wear? The Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, don't be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, and you may be seated. What I need to do here at the beginning is just spend a couple minutes setting up the topic for this morning, which is anxiety. I know this is a topic that none of us can relate to. I didn't have a pit in my stomach walking up those stairs just now. I didn't write three drafts of this sermon this week uh, with a pit in my stomach. The irony of that, right? Writing a sermon on anxiety whilst being very anxious. But the topic of anxiety is complex, it's varied, it's broad, and the mere mention of it can cause some of us to get anxious. For some of us, anxiety is as natural to us as breathing. It is a daily, if not hourly, struggle. I don't want to presume that we all struggle with anxiety. I know that we all experience it because we're human, but you might not necessarily see it as a struggle. You might be that rare... (laughs) Uh, uh, anomaly to this situation. Most, most people have a struggle with anxiety in one form or another, one level or another. Sometimes we can identify the triggers of our anxiety. Other times we're absolutely just blindsided by it. And since the topic of anxiety is so complex, along with its causes, its symptoms, its treatments, It would be wrong of me and way, way overly simplistic of me and even mean of me to stand up here and shake my finger at you and say, well, if you have anxiety, it's your fault. You're just not reading the Bible enough. You need to pray more, believe more, and all your anxiety will just drift away. That's a rather simplistic view of this, right? At the same time, though, okay, so and yet... We need to be careful because at verse 30, Jesus does make a connection between the presence of anxiety when there is an absence or lack of faith. We have to consider that. Jesus is saying it, so we have to consider it. But Jesus doesn't shame us into believing and trusting in him. It doesn't work like that. It's not in his character. He doesn't shame us into believing. He woos us. He pursues us, loves us, and cares for us, and in no way desires that we live anxious lives. But my point, just as, again, is kind of introducing things here. My point is that the causes of our anxiety are complex. And that means that while a lack of faith may be part of it, and I would actually say it is part of it because who of us doesn't struggle with a lack of faith at some point, to some degree, 
While that's part of it, it's very possible that other factors are involved as well because there are legitimate anxiety disorders. And so I don't want to just gloss over this topic uh, anxiety in the reality of mental health. Um, it's, it's real. It's present. Generalized anxiety disorders are real. I have seen firsthand the benefits of sustained counseling, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, even medication uh, as tools to, to help fight uh, um, anxiety. And I'm thankful for all of these options for treatment. But regardless of the causes, the severity, the frequency of our anxiety, we do need to, just for a moment, listen to what Jesus is saying and really investigate and ask for the Spirit's illuminating work to see how a lack of faith is contributing. Where are we not believing the gospel? And as a result of that, where, how are we experiencing anxiety? How is that connected? The question before us, so let me just kind of pose this and then, and then get moving. The question before us is this. How does chasing after the kingdoms of the earth contribute to anxiety in contrast to pursuing or seeking after, as Jesus says, seeking after the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Because the, the argument as, as it's presented to us is, is this. We have two options. Again, this is part two from last week. You seek this, there's anxiety. You seek this, and there's not. Now, we know that we don't seek this kingdom perfectly, and therefore we have daily troubles. As Jesus says that that last verse, every day there's going to be trouble. We know that. The question is how do we respond to it, and in what way does anxiety play into all this? So the question again, how does chasing after kingdoms of the earth, and, and I'll get into what that means, how does that lead to anxiety when, when compared to chasing after and seeking after the kingdom of God? And to begin to answer this question, I want to frame things around this idea of expectations. Let that be the thread as, as we go through this this morning, expectations. They're not bad. Having expectations is not bad. In fact, Jesus is, is kind of inviting us to have expectations. I think expectations and faith go very closely together. So we should have expectations. But when our expectations are misguided or misplaced or uninformed, that's going to lead to some anxiety. So the thread here is this idea of expectations. Expectations are often linked to either the presence or uh, the absence of anxiety. So let me give you some examples. Um, so we have two kingdoms, the kingdom of the earth, what the world teaches, and then over here we have the kingdom of God. For a little bit, we're going to talk about the kingdom of the earth, what the, what the world tells us, and how our expectations get warped by that. Uh, a paper was published recently, um, and I don't have any quotes or anything, but you can come talk to me if you want me to send it to you. But uh, it's out of the UK, two researchers um, from two different universities collaborated for this paper. And what they found in this paper really comes to no surprise to the rest of us. And their, the result of their research was this. More and more people are becoming more and more anxious. Really? Like, that? you had to just 
you should have just called me. I could have told you that. You really had to do research uh, for that. But I guess they're academic and they needed to find data for it instead of just calling Ben. But um, their finding was that more and more people are becoming more and more anxious. And they need to go into a lot of the reasons why. But actually in the paper, they even focus it even more on young adults. They're saying that our teenagers, young adults, teens and 20s are experiencing more and more anxiety. And I don't know, that might be some of you guys. And I don't know. Love to hear what you have to think about this. But this is what they say. Um, Let me just summarize some of their points. Young adults, they write, are vulnerable to constructing a flawed and disordered sense of themselves. Vulnerable to constructing a flawed or disordered sense of themselves. They become overwhelmed by worry and fear of being negatively judged by their peers. You know, their friends focusing in on their deficiencies and what's wrong with them. Making, as a result, young adults oversensitive to criticism and failure. And they cite also the role of social media. Social media gets a bad rap, as many times it should. But there are other factors as well. The whole Instagram thing and all that. But just this constantly having your life out there and people are just tossing grenades, criticizing any flaw. And these researchers conclude this. This is the last, last thing. They conclude that young adults are seeing that their social context is increasingly demanding. Increasingly demanding. Others judge them more harshly. And then this last statement. And, they're in, in that, and they are increasingly inclined... They're starting to do this more and more to display perfection as a means of securing approval. Let me say that again. They're increasingly inclined to display perfection as a means of securing approval. So whatever they are projecting out to the world, they're feeling this need to project perfection so that they will be approved. And any chink in the armor, any little flaw will be um, exploited, uh, magnified, and the result then is just this crushing anxiety. This is what the kingdom of the world teaches. In terms of expectations, we believe that we must be perfect and then we'll be accepted. And so the old paper goes on and on about all this stuff. But it's not just young adults that believe this, right? I think if we just stopped for a second and, and reflected on this, this is all of us, regardless of age, race, gender, ethnicity. This is our natural understanding of ourselves and the world around us. Our hearts, because they are corrupted by sin, just naturally, we don't have to learn this. We, we, born, we are born knowing it, that there's a world out there that's judging us, And therefore, we better perform with perfection if we are going to be uh, approved, welcomed in, affirmed, sense of worth, that whole thing. And again, we do this same thing. Perform perfectly and then you'll be approved. But we know this not to be true. We, We know that this cannot be sustained. We fail. We become anxious. People discover our flaws. They take advantage. Anxiety overwhelms. But even if we are able to, for a period, perform perfectly, 
in whatever setting it is, eventually we will wear down. Eventually we'll get so exhausted that we will slip and then we will, they'll just, we're done. People have found us out. Jobs, relationships, hobbies, entertainment, politics, exercise, social organizations, name it. Whatever it is thinking that we need to perform in these realms perfectly and that they need to serve us perfectly in order for there to be this sustained acceptance and worth and value. Our jobs, we believe, will provide for us all the financial and material security we need. Our relationships will provide for us all the emotional security that we need. Our government will provide for us all the physical uh, um, security that we need. But what happens? Eventually, they fail us. Eventually, we fail others. And the system begins to crumble. And guess what? We get anxious. Let's talk about some objections to that for just a second. You might be sitting there and thinking, okay, I'm tracking so far. Let me actually just stop for a second. You guys okay? I I practice my sermons on my wife. And um, bless her heart. And... It was about this time that she, she kind of interrupted me, uh, and she was like, dude, you sound like you're giving a paper, <laughs> or like a dissertation thesis or something like that. Um, and it, it, we, I promise we will get to the Bible, <laughs> that, that thing. Uh, we'll get to Scripture in just a second, but I just feel like this, is, this was helpful to me um, in my three drafts, three versions of the sermon that I wrote this week. Again, because I was anxious. I was like, they've got to like it. They've got to like it. They've got to like it. Um, but anyway, <laughs> sorry. The objections you may be having at this point when I'm talking about going to our jobs for financial security, I mean, doesn't that kind of make sense? Like, I have to work so I can get paid so I can buy food. So you're saying I don't need to do that? God's just going to provide it magically? Um, I, do I not need to work for my food? That's not what I'm saying. Um, Jesus, and let's do, go ahead and just look at this briefly. Um, he says, consider the birds. Consider the birds of the air. Um, do they work? I mean, uh, so what does he say? Um, consider, uh, I guess I can just read that out of the Bible. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Do birds just assume that their nests are going to be built? Like the nests just build themselves or the worms or the bugs just kind of appear out of nowhere and just there they are? No. Birds are busy little creatures. I was in Asheville this week. I like to go just walk around the streets to become inspired and, um, and sometimes freaked out. But if you know where the Vance Monument is and then there's that little fountain, I was on a little park bench there by the chocolate lounge watching the birds. Judge me. Uh, but I was just sitting there watching the birds and felt very natural in Asheville doing that. I was like, this is what people do. Check out the birds. They're busy working. But they, if I could get into the mind of the bird, which would be just a trip, but they, they're, not, they're not like, oh gosh, um, I, I, I'm not going to have food tomorrow. There, there's just something about a, it, it just seems that there is this just contentment that they're working in. Jesus, who is reigning today, is going to be reigning tomorrow. And the food that he's providing for me today, he's going to provide for me tomorrow. So let me just get to work. 
And there's just a freedom in that. Um, I know this sounds kind of Taoist and Eastern or whatever, but I think we can, per Jesus' teaching here, consider the birds, how they work. It's not done in this, oh my gosh, if I don't do this, I'm, I'm not going to eat. God uses our work, for example, as a means of carrying out his good purposes. What we do is we twist that into thinking, okay, our work is the end thing. That is the thing that will provide for me all of my deepest longings. That's a twisted view of it. Our work, our relationships, all the other things that we busy ourselves with are means through which God blesses us and does his good work for his glory and our good. That's how he operates. Consider the birds. But again, we mix all of that up. And then when they fail us, because we're expecting them to be for us that which they were never intended to be, but when they fail us, anxiety is just the beginning of what we feel. But there's another way. So this has kind of been the heavy sort of negative thing. Now let's kind of change it. So that's the way of the world. Jesus is saying, if you go to the kingdoms of this earth, expecting them to provide for you only which I can provide, you're expecting that they will fail you and the result will be anxiety but there's another way so let's go to the other side of this so now let's let's look at um, verse 31 actually before i read it let me just define this word real quick jesus says do not be anxious and he repeats that word several times what does the word mean uh the the what is the, what is the word that matthew is using here that we translate as anxious. The word, there are really three different words that we need to consider to really understand what's, what's underneath this word for ang- anxious. The first is distracted. The Greek word that's being used can mean distracted by. So substitute that in. Jesus is saying, do not be distracted by the sources of the things like your food and clothing and all that. Distracted, troubled is another way to, to understand this word. Or anxious. Distracted, troubled, anxious. (laughs) I was just distracted. (laughs) No, that was great timing, though. Like, (laughs) it, it it illustrated the point of distraction. And actually, when I stopped, did any of you get anxious? He stopped talking. He stopped talking. What does that mean? What does that mean? Jesus is saying, do not be, do not get anxious, do not get be distracted by where your food and drink and clothing is going to come from. Because when your attention becomes inappropriately placed on the source of these things, it's going to lead to a, a, a troubled mind, a feeling of anxiety. And so he's saying, therefore, don't be anxious about that. The Gentiles seek after these things. What, is that? what does that mean? Gen- the, the word there for Gentiles just means the nations. And so what Jesus is referring to is the people outside the family of God, the world. They seek after those things with anxiety, it's implied, because they feel like it's all up to them. It's all on them to locate their food and their clothing. And if they don't pour themselves into all that they do and work and save and this and this and this and this and this, they're not going to get 
any of those things. So there's, there's this crushing weight of that, um, of that uh, belief. But Jesus is saying, no, listen, you belong to the kingdom. You are mine. And he lists for us several reasons why we should not be, be anxious. And in the first one, he says, isn't life more than food? I love how Jesus is doing this. He's kind of playing. He's kind of playful with these questions, inviting us in to answer and engage with him in this. And so he's using some sort of logical arguments. I'm giving you life, which is pretty big. Don't you think that I will then provide for you the things that sustain life? Let's just think about it for a second. I'm giving you life. Doesn't it beg the reason to, under, to, or to, to believe that I will also give you those things necessary for life? And the answer is, of course, yes. He's using the greatest to the least kind of argument. If I'm doing this huge thing, don't you think I'll also do these other things? Another way for us to think about it is, if we can trust Jesus for our eternal salvation, eternity, if we can trust him for that, which is the greatest, don't you think we can trust him in the day-to-day? Man's life is but a breath. It's gone. That's tiny. Don't you think we can trust him in this? How do argue from the opposite? How, how can we not trust him in that if we can't trust him in this? I can trust him that I'll have food today, but my eternal salvation, I don't know if I can trust him. That doesn't make sense. He's arguing from the greatest to the least. Another way, another argument um, he makes, uh, talking about, so he's saying, life is more than food. Don't you think I'll give you the food? All, he also says, God cares for the birds and the lilies. Birds of the air, but then the lilies that are here today, gone tomorrow. He cares for them and clothes them. Don't you think he'll do the same for you? That same, that same kind of argument, the lesser to the greater. Plus, number three, another way he's, he's arguing against our anxiety is that Jesus says being anxious doesn't add anything to your life. What does being anxious add to your life in a good way? And the way I I think about this, my experience with anxiety is that it doesn't add anything. It only detracts. It takes away. How many times? And Janae, speak up to this if you want to. Um, We can have a discussion about this. But how many times have I come home totally distracted by something, anxious about something, and I don't even talk to my wife. I don't engage with my daughters. Why? Because I'm freaked out, anxious about something else. Anxiety usually happens to me, I don't know when it strikes you, but it usually hits me around 10, 13 p.m. (laughs) I'll put my head down on the table, on the table, (laughs) I have no idea where table came from. Pillow was probably the word I was going for, but I lay, I lay my head down on the pillow, and I do this. I lay down, and I'm like, okay, what am I going to be anxious about tonight? Going to go down the list, go down the list. Got it. Got Okay, now I got something I'm going to be anxious about. Kind of being funny, but that's, eh, that's kind of what I do. Some of you wake up anxious. Some of you might just hit you randomly throughout the day, but for me, it's a nighttime thing, and I don't know if it has to do with the darkness or whatever, but usually at nighttime, I get anxious, and it's, I do these little experiments. Uh, I wake up in the morning, and I, and I try to remember that which I was anxious about the night before, and, and, and I'm not anxious. There's something about just the timing of it. But anyway, um, where am I? What am I <laughs> having this little moment with you all as I'm going through my anxiety? 
But it's, it, 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 is a, it is definitely, a, um, oh, this is it. Um, being anxious doesn't add anything to our lives. And one more thing I want to say about this, and then I'll move on, um, is that uh, this whole idea of being anxious doesn't add anything, but it actually detracts a lot of us. And just think about your own life. Um, how do you manage your anxiety? Um, and a lot of us slip into... Um, very harmful, very destructive patterns of dealing with uh, our anxiety. Some of them are addictive, and some of them can just be uh, absolute, um, dis- absolutely destructive personally, but also with our relationships. So anxiety is not something that you mess with. And the way it pops up in our lives is very different, and the way we cope with that anxiety, oftentimes we go, we go to bad things to cope um, and so we just need to be thinking right here, okay, how, how, where is anxiety in my life? How do I respond to it? Um, and Jesus is inviting us. Uh, he's showing us, no, no, there's, there is another way. Uh, I care for you. I've given you life. I will provide for you in all these things. And, and then just to recognize that anxiety doesn't add, it just takes away. And then the last reason that he's t- telling us here is that he knows, our Father knows what we need. We can't just skip over that. That's revolutionary. When you compare Christianity with other religions of the world, different philosophies, the idea that there is a Father, right, intimate relationship, a Father in heaven who knows, th- you don't see that elsewhere. But here we have a heavenly Father who knows what we need. He's caring, he's loving, he will provide. And we need to expect that, all right? Expectations aren't bad. They're just oftentimes misguided. So here is something that we should expect that he will provide. This is a properly placed expectation. Do we do this perfectly? Of course not. We mess this up uh, all the time. Um, But this is the the ideal that Jesus is inviting us into to trust that he will provide and, and, and rest in that. Um, but even if we do expect him to provide, um, we need to keep our expectations in check. And I'll, I'll, let me now talk about this for a little bit. I am almost done. I've only got about like 45 more minutes, maybe an hour, but we'll, um, I'm just, I'm, I'm enjoying this. Um, it's all about me. Uh, we, there, so Rosie read uh, a rather long passage from Exodus 16. That was my fault, but it was a good passage. Because I, I wanted you to see how um, the Israelites, the people of God, um, knew God, but their expectations were misplaced. So let's just stop for a second. I've been talking about the, the kingdoms of the earth and how we're, that kind of messes us up and leads to anxiety. And, and so, okay, well, over here we have the kingdom of God, and the idea is if we're seeking that, there won't be anxiety. But again, we screw that up, and there's anxiety. And so now let's look at Scripture to see some ways that this happens. The people of God believing in him, seeking the kingdom, and yet becoming anxious. In Exodus 16, that we just heard is an example of it. They had just experienced this incredible act of God, rescuing them out of Egypt, Red Sea parting, they're walking through on dry land, and then the water coming back in and swallowing up the Egyptian army. That's Exodus 14. Exodus 15, Moses sings a song. And then Exodus 16, what are they doing? Grumbling. 
the point there is like, bam, 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 they're grumbling. And what do, what do they say? Um, uh, this is great. Um, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in Egypt when we sat by the meat pots. <laughs> meat pot. Evidently, that was something that they were wanting. Um, I guess when you are just wandering in the wilderness of sin, um, a meat pot does sound pretty good. But uh, Brad, nice. But they wanted that when we had meat and then we ate bread to the full, right? They were forgetting the just awful living condition, the, the, the enslavement, the beatings, the, all this. But now that they're out here, they're like, wait a minute. God just rescued us from that. I'm expecting things to be going a little bit differently. And um, where's the meat pot? And God, is, his response here is no. And this is great. And Yeah, just listen to this. Um, I, didn't make, I should have made a slide for this. But God says, no, I'm not going to give you that stuff that you think you want from Egypt. This is such an important lesson for us. You think you want that, but you don't. Listen to what I'm going to do. I'm going to make bread rain down from heaven. Your expectations are not only misplaced, but they're too low. You want meat pots. Dude, I'm going to make bread rain down from heaven. That's where your expectation should be. I'm going to make water pour forth from rocks. That's how I operate. And you want to go back and eat bread to the full and have a meat pot. That, uh, that C.S. Lewis quote, you know, about like we're just playing in mud when there's this opportunity for something so much greater. I, I don't know. Maybe you know that saying. But this, this, we are, we're, we're invited into something just so much greater that we can't even imagine. And we're like, oh, I'll just play in the mud. He's saying, God is saying, no, I'm, I'm, I'm providing for you in ways that are far greater. And you're going to see things that are far greater than you can ever imagine. God is teaching them to become dependent upon him as the one who provides. And as someone was telling me this this week, he described it in this way. God was weaning their hearts off of what was temporal to what was eternal. And that came through not meeting their expectations, but surpassing them. In the meantime, they're grumbling. And he's like, Lo, check this. Let's just wait till you see what I'm going to do. Weaning them off of their idolatry and their, those things that are temporal and pointing them to that which is eternal. Some New Testament examples, just a couple of them, but I just got to mention them real, real fast. Um, Jesus, with his disciples, he's teaching Bethsaida. He goes out in the countryside. All these thousands of people are with him, and the disciples start to get nervous. They start to get anxious. Jesus, there are thousands of people here. It's, the sun's going down. They're getting, they're getting hungry. What are we going to do? Should we just send them out to get their own food and then come back later? What should we do? And Jesus is like, okay, so what do you got? Well, we have two fish and five loaves of bread. Perfect. Feed them. How? Well, we don't know. But miraculously, they are fed. God is showing them, the disciples showing us, he is the one who provides. How? Doesn't matter. He's the one who does. And it comes. Mary and Martha, Luke 10, is another great one to go to just real quick. Mary and Martha's house, sisters, uh, Jesus is teaching there. And uh, Mary is sitting at his feet, listening to him teach. And what is Martha doing? Running around. Got to get this done. Got to get this done. Got to get this done. And she starts to get angry at Mary for not helping her. She's expecting that help. And she goes to Jesus and starts complaining. My sister's not helping me. Make her help me. 
What does Jesus say to Martha? Martha, Martha, you are anxious. That's the word he uses, same one in our passage. You are anxious and you are troubled about many things. But your sister, she's focused on the right thing. We are distracted. Martha was distracted by these other things, leading to anxiety, leading to anxiousness. But, but, but Mary is there focused on the one thing. And now one more quick example is, is, is Palm Sunday. I know Easter is relatively recently. If you remember um, Palm Sunday, Jesus is going into the, the Jerusalem. Um, they're all waving the palm branches, Hosanna in the highest. The Messiah is here. The Romans are going to be kicked out. And we're going to start this new kingdom, this political military kingdom. Um, we will restore the glory days of Israel. And Jesus' response is, well, actually, my kingdom is not of this world. And by the end of the week, they're going to kill me. They, they had expectations, but they were misplaced. And that led to them becoming anxious. Wait, what? You're dying on Friday? I thought the whole kingdom thing. He's like, yeah, my kingdom is not of this world. We've been over this. But we do this too, right? I mean, we, we have our own little ideas of what our own little kingdoms should be like. It's not all bad and evil, it's a natural thing to think about what tomorrow is going to be like. Think about what tomorrow is going to be like for us and our loved ones and, and, and how it's all going to happen. And okay, if I do this place and, and do this, and then I'll go over here and do that. The book and letter of James tells us something about that too, right? It says, if the Lord wills it, this will happen. But anyway, we do this, expecting things to go a certain way. And when they don't, we get anxious. And perhaps even begin to doubt God's care and his provision for us. Which is why we need to be reminded constantly of the good news of Jesus. Let this sort of just wash over us. The world is telling us every day that we need to perform in order to be accepted. We need to perform in order, in order to be valued. Um, some of us take the same thinking and bring it into Christianity. That's reinforced daily out there. But when we think about God and we think about our relationship with him, it is natural for us to think, okay, well, I need to perform in order for him to accept me. That's how my job works. I guess that's how God works. It's the natural way of thinking, but it's incorrect. That's not how God operates. The gospel says that you're totally messed up. Cheer up. We're totally messed up completely incapable of earning any favor with God on our own. We stand before him imperfect and condemned. That's some harsh, that's some harsh news right there. But it doesn't end there. And this is why God sent Jesus to live the life that we should have lived, die the death that we deserved, as a punishment for our sin. But even more than that, through his spirit, our hearts are renewed, our minds are renewed, and we are brought in, adopted into the kingdom. Seek that, Jesus says. Seek the kingdom. That's what the Sermon of the Mount is all about. If you're asking a question, well, how do I do it? How do I do it? That's, this is his sermon. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. This is what it's all about. How we live for the kingdom. And with this comes a deep contentment. I want to just read for you briefly as I conclude 
something from 1 Timothy 6. That's in the New Testament, right, 1 Timothy? Okay. That was supposed to be funnier than it was. Uh, uh, Paul is writing to Timothy, and he says this. Listen to this. So as while we seek, while we have expectations for the kingdom of God, we do so like this. And I think this is so helpful. 1 Timothy 6, beginning at verse 6. There is great gain in godliness with contentment. We were brought into the world with nothing. We can take nothing out of the world. Listen to this. But if we have food and if we have clothing with these, we will be content. I think a lot of times we get messed up when we're saying, okay, God's going to provide for me. But the measurement of his provision is also twisted. God will only provide for me if I get a new car and take that idea and apply it in a million different ways. The Egyptian, I mean, the Israelites coming out of Egypt, God will provide for us, but he better give us some meat pots. He's like, no, my provision is going to come in a different way. So the lesson for us is with a spirit of contentment, seek and expect his provision to come. Does that make sense? When we mess up how we feel like God's going to provide for us, we get anxious. And he's like, no, no, I'm doing something here. Trust me. Jesus does not want us to live anxious lives, especially when that anxiety is caused by expecting that everything rests on our shoulders, be it food, clothing, or even salvation. Jesus has taken care of all that. Um, He will take care of our provisions concerning our salvation. He has already taken care of that by the cross that he bore on his shoulders. And that is the good news. And that's why we celebrate this meal. Because we're going to forget. Tomorrow we're going to forget. So we need to be reminded daily, hourly, weekly of what Jesus did and how that satisfies our deepest longings and is an incredibly powerful tool in battling our anxiety. So uh, if you are helping serve uh, communion, come on down and start getting all that ready. Um, as we move now into this time of, uh, of the sacrament of the Lord's Supper of communion, we need to do a couple things. The first is to come to this table with a confessional heart. So what we're going to do um, is... Um, is, is read a confession together corporately, but then we'll also have a time of private uh, um, individual confession. So if you could read with me this confession of sin. O oh Lord Jesus, you came down from heaven to redeem us all of our iniquities. Write your word on our hearts that we may know you and the power of your resurrection and express it by turning from our sins. In our repentance, forgive and cleanse us. Then rule in our hearts by faith, that being dead to sin and alive to righteousness, we may bear the fruit of holiness and grow in the grace and knowledge of you. We ask this in the name of Christ, our Savior. Amen. Paul tells us that we are to examine our hearts before coming to this table. And so let's do that right now. Let's go ahead and just bow our heads and spend a couple moments examining our hearts, confessing our own sins to the Lord, and then we'll have an assurance of pardon.